Welcome to the Tools for Today's Farmers podcast, brought to you by the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team. Our podcast will cover current issues in farming and will provide insight from a wide variety of experts in agriculture. Now let's get farm strong. All right. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Rachel Dilhoff. And I'm your co-host, Abby Heidenreich. And today we are so thankful and happy to have Ted McKenney joining us. Um, Ted, would you like to tell us your title? Sure. It's longer than it should be. It's Undersecretary Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs, which is one of the mission areas of USDA. Perfect. Now, I had to Google what an undersecretary was. So can you tell us a little bit uh, more about what exactly that role means? Sure. Well, the U.S. government uh, sets up uh, a cabinet, which most people are familiar with, and most people know Secretary Sonny Perdue, P-E-R-D-U-E. He and I have fun on the E versus the U. Um, And then, because there are some mission areas that really carry a lot of responsibility, mine happens to be trade in foreign agricultural affairs. Another one is food, nutrition, and child services. So think of the SNAP programs. That's an undersecretary. Uh, Indiana has a very strong presence in the rural development. There's an undersecretary for RD. Similarly for the farm programs, the farm service agencies. And so the different mission areas have uh, undersecretaries that lead them. And so uh, we report to the secretary and we're challenged to, to lead that. It's a big organization. So there's a fair amount of autonomy. Uh, and so that's what an undersecretary is. It's under the secretary of ag. In other countries, it would be known as a vice minister or a minister kind of thing. Okay. Well, and I mean, my goodness, that's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Like you said, your title, you got a long title, and with that comes a lot of stuff. And I know, especially now with the the way things are going, I'm sure your plate has been very full with just everything going on. Um, And what made you get into this field? Well, you'll hear me later talk about a divine hand out there. Uh, I, I, I had no idea I would be doing this way back when I graduated from Purdue or at many steps along the way. I knew I wanted to do public service, but I thought my public service was going to be my former role as the director of the State Department of Ag there in Indiana, a job which I loved, by the way. So um, I had no idea. So I do believe without any question, there is a divine hand out there. And I recognize that the divine means something different to different people and different faiths. So, so, um, so I had no idea I'd be here. I will say though, that for those that are following a career and my career started early on in the area of government and public affairs, I was in sales and marketing for all of five years and was invited to and joined the corporate affairs area at Eli Lilly and Company. That's when Elanco had both ag chemicals and animal vet products. A lot of changes in both of those now. And so I found my home, I found my love, which is the corporate affairs area, government public affairs. And that just led me through many positions in two companies. And then this guy named Mike Pence called and said, I want you to come be my director of ag. And 
who would have ever thought that he would be asked by Mr. Trump to be a VP running mate, and then who'd have thunk that they would have been elected, and so here we are. So my sense is that we, it's our responsibility to prepare ourselves all the time for whatever might come next. And so, yeah, I participated in that, but here in this spot with this title, no, 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 no. I'd have never guessed it, never guessed it. And I know you have, a, you grew up on a farm in right. Indiana right. and to my understanding, you farm to this day, correct? Well, I don't technically farm. That, that might offend my twin brother who manages the farms and really works for a living. But, but, but yes, we still have a lot of interest. Uh, you know, my brothers and sister and I own some of the land and I'm, I'm on the phone a lot just checking in. How's the weather? How's harvest going? All of those things. And of course, I watch that very carefully day to day on a global basis. But yeah, uh, without any doubt, the farm and growing up on the farm is my foundation. And I cannot tell you how frequently I rely on those experiences. Being able to talk about what is a biotechnology trait? What is a GMO? How can you, through innovation, reduce uses of pesticides? How can you be sustainable? It all goes back to that time raising corn, soybeans, seed corn, seed soybeans, and we had a swine finishing operation. So, yep, I'm very thankful for all of that. It, it does. It, I mean, to get where you're at today and having that background, it's very helpful because you, you've seen it firsthand. And I'm sure it, that has really helped you advance and really relate. Um, and I know too that you were a 4-H'er and do you feel like that has helped you as well as you moved forward in your career? Well, the short answer is yes, with two or three exclamation points. If you could uh, take a spin around my office, the corner over here where there's a couch and two easy chairs, 4-H and FFA threw up all over the corner there with Afghans and the 4-H motto and all kinds of things. In fact, if we had a different backdrop, you'd see a 4-H uh, 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 promo and a, a bust of an FFA jacket behind me. So yeah, I have not forgotten my roots and our family, oh gosh, back to my grandmother and grandfather's coaching is you give back, you know, for those of us that are blessed to have had a lot of great 4-H leaders, FFA, ag instructors, coaches, teachers, you name it you got to give back. And so I try to wherever I can. And so it's, it's, it's plus it's an added pleasure. How, how can you, how can you not go wrong? How can you go wrong if you're watching America's youth and agriculture develop through these incredible programs? So yeah, we can come back to that later, by the way. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, with all of that background, we're going to lead into some really great conversations in a little bit, but to, to kind of uh, do a little bit of, um, getting to know each other in a fun way. We kind of have a little fun question that we always ask all of our guests and it's different every time. So here's your question. Um, so you're in a situation and you have to sing karaoke. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh gosh, karaoke. Well, I'll answer it in two ways. The one that I did do and embarrassed myself significantly was uh, Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. It was a supposed to be a group that went up and sang and I was first out of the shoot and I looked behind me and nobody was coming. So what do you do? So uh, I did okay on parts of it, but it has some high parts I'd forgotten. And my baritone doesn't do well on, you know, you know, high tenor, you know, even alto kinds of, uh, so there's, there's that one. 
Um, oh, I, I forget. It wasn't Springfield, but uh, uh, um, the garden party. Um, I'll have to think about that. I'll tell you, though, when, when I have help on a CD, uh, even this morning coming in, people like John Denver are always my go-to's. Uh, some Something of, you uh, can car belt out. <laughs> car carpenters are always good. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll dive into some Bruce Springsteen. The boss is pretty good now and then. So it's a pretty good mixture. But my family will tell me that, yes, Dad, you are a 70s, 80s guy. That's my favorite music. Can't help but what you grew up with, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what's good. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, so that was, I love the answer. And that was the easy question. But we're going to dive into a little bit more serious stuff now. We're going to talk a little bit about farm stress now and stress in general, because that's something that we all experience uh, singing. That's a great way to de-stress. But in a, in a time and day like now where it's very unknown, um, can you tell us a little bit about that added stress in people's lives and what you've seen in terms of managing that stress, not just yourself, but others or wherever you've seen it. Yeah. Well, stress is real. And for anybody that has a job or is to take care of children or has responsibilities of any sort, it's there. It may be at a low level. It may be a high level. And I suspect now with some of the things that, you know, we've all been going through, I, you know, in terms of trying to expand trade, it's been very, very real. You know, we're now entering year seven of a fairly depressed farm economy. Although if you look at prices these days, I hope folks are lifting their spirits because wow, are corn and soybeans and in some cases other commodities doing well right now. So, um, so yes, there's stress. My own experiences, I've ranged it from mild to heavy. I mean, it can be stressful when you're studying for a semester exam at college or in high school it certainly comes and goes depending on the time. Deadlines always are a source of additional stress on a job. The combination of different things, you know, parenting where you have mostly young children or adolescent children plus job, plus wanting to do right by the spouse. Plus in my case, there was always involvement in church and community activities, you know, it can get too much. And I would say one of the first answers is you better have a good mentor. In my case, my wife, was a, it was a North star, a great compass. You know, I had a tendency to just dive way too deeply in too many things. And a couple, three times, not more than that. She said, you know, you might back it off about 10 degrees. And, and so I appreciated that mentors. I've always, always advised that you find one, two, maybe three mentors. And you start by saying, you have to promise me you're going to be brutally honest with me. Don't sugarcoat it. I want to know what you're thinking. If, if it's positive, fantastic. That's always good to get an attaboy or an girl. But if there's something I'm doing wrong that might be leading to stress or leading to some, uh, you know, left turn or right turn that's uncalled for or a U-turn, then, then you got to know that. And so I believe in that. I will not name the job, but there was one job that were for a year or two. It was incredibly, incredibly stressful. I mean, I was waking up and I couldn't get back to sleep for a couple of hours and it was very, very stressful. And that's when I rediscovered that in that particular job, I did not have my mentors. Shame on me. That was a learning experience where you can talk through with people 
And I was shouldering much too much of that on my own. I can handle this. Well, you know, and I would say an extra one for those that are faith-based, it's kind of difficult because we're not really going to church. The frequency of seeing those that are close friends that you have relied on in the past and can continue to rely on is sort of at a lower ebb. Now, thank goodness for technologies like Zoom and Teams and other things like that, that can remedy it. It's not quite the same and we have to recognize that. So my sense is that if people get the structure in place, a mentor or two or three, a spouse that you're communicating with, siblings, parents, great friends, you name it, they all serve the same or similar purpose, that can be your rock. And I'll tell you, uh, I've restarted a Bible study course, and it's not so much, there is some Bible study, but it's almost really a group of guys that are just immersing ourselves back in the word and in how we work through things. And I think those make for a pretty good combination. I mentioned it earlier. I do sustain as best I can in this job, my involvement with youth. There's nothing that lifts one up than seeing a 4-H member that's worked, you know, so hard to show that pig, prepare that pig, that lamb, that steer for showing and they come out a winner or a public speaking experience or whatever it might be, run for an office, you know, and do that and you're elected. Wow, that can be a lift because you see your, your, your successive generation and those that you have mentored. And that's always a pick me up. That's why I always say that the National FFA Convention is a must attend for whoever can get there. It is such a lift for those that need the lift. So those are a few ideas, you guys. Well, and I think that's great. And I know um, a theme that we had talked about um, in the past when it comes to farmers, especially, is that it can be kind of a lonely profession because you're in a tractor all day. Um, You might see people, you might not. And in those cases, um, you mentioned like the Zoom and Teams, especially now when people can't get together. Um, Do you have any suggestions for farmers that that are relatively isolated. Yeah, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, I have found as I, as I try my best to contrast my life, corporate world, corporate world, state government, federal government, you're always, well, except for times of COVID, you're always around people. You go to an office where you have, you know, a few to a few hundred. And, and it's a, natu- a more natural environment, whereas on the farm, it's, it's you and usually, you know, some employees, a spouse, a mom or dad or something. And that's why you've got to rely on great relations with those people. But, oh, my gosh, my advice is to find someone outside. One thing I've seen on our own farm, and I think many farmers are parts of organizations where they can talk to other farmers. Lots of times it's not the immediate neighbors. Now that's not to say that you don't get along with your neighbors. Sometimes you do and they can be best friends, but sometimes there's that competition for land that just comes up inherently. And so to get in groups where it's a farmer, you know, six counties or six states away, then no competition. You may not be so close that you don't, you're not, you don't want to bear your soul. And so those have been productive Lots of times university professors have, 
I don't want to say counseling groups. They are there to advise usually on business acumen. Think about investing this way, that way, keeping the extension theme going. And they, those kinds of things can be positive. And I still fall back on the civic organizations that people should belong to. For agriculture, God love them, it's usually your church. And that is so important. But I'll still once again say, if you're giving back, uh, nothing better than 4-H and FFA and those kinds of things. So you've got to find the support mechanisms, whatever they look and feel like. You have to have that. And that's not always time right in the face of a farmer. Because let's face it, they have to be, depending on their operation, they have to be a business person, an ag economist, a marketer, a vet, an agronomist, a soil scientist, a mechanic for crying out loud. You know, all of that comes in one job and it can be stressful, particularly when you are at the whims of weather, when you're at the whims of politics and marketing. I mean, look what we've been through the last two or three years. So fortunately, I think ag realizes what we've been doing here has been to straighten out some things that have been unfortunate in trade. At least that's what we hear from the vast, vast majority. And I think prices are showing that it's been paying off. I like how you uh, kind of led into the, this is our, our next topic here. Um, we usually try to incorporate a statistic about farmer mental health or stress or how it's influenced, but it's no secret that trade policies directly impact the markets, the farm income, and really almost everything. Um, a lot of time foreign policy is a stress factor that people categorize as out of their control. Yeah. Um, but you happen to play a major role in controlling those policies. So let's talk a little bit about the foreign trade work that you do. Um, there's a lot of things that go into the foreign foreign policies, but let's look at um, let's look past the literal negotiations and global economies that you take into account. What are some ways that you measure or investigate the impact that policies will have on American farmers? Um, we know there's a lot of studies out. Purdue has the Ag Barometer that measures farmer sentiment, um, but what tools do you use to make decisions on policies? Sure. Well, there's micro analytics and micro goals and there's macro goals. And let me just touch on both. Uh, if I were a farmer, uh, I would want to be told, and this is from the head and the heart, that I get up every day, truly every day. And what drives me is thinking that maybe just one thing, let alone 10 or 20, but one thing, if I can help a farmer or rancher improve their lot, make a sale, add two to 10 to 20 cents per pound, per bushel, whatever. That's what drives me. It gets me up in the morning. It gets me here early so I can read, read, read so that I can be more competent during the day. So what drives me is our farmer and rancher. And, and, and I hope that would be a little bit comforting to them, that it's not me and some agnostic policy and what the White House is saying. No, 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 no. Not at all. What drives me is a farmer. The second thing, much in line with that, is in fact, people around in my team make fun of me. The old, the, the old adage, leave no stone unturned, is well used around here. And I'm not kidding. If we can do one thing that helps one more container of meat be sold, maybe that container can come from IBP in Delphi, Tyson in Logansport. If you're poultry down there on the southern border, uh, far best. If you're a, a crop and grain farmer, you know, maybe just maybe what we can do helps just add a few cents. I'll give you a specific example. 
we were negotiating with the Chinese and, and I led that negotiation because my good friend at USTR had just been confirmed and hadn't had any time to prepare. We were talking about biotechnology traits because remember China sat on those things for six to eight years, six to eight years. My brother Tom and many farmers had to go back to the days of 1996 and seven and hire a bunch of kids, go out and weed resistant weeds, resistant to Roundup out of the fields. And the reason they had to do that is because the large companies rightfully, understandably, could not accept those new traits to go to the grain silos and terminals. So we had a very candid discussion, both publicly, and you don't embarrass friends in that culture of Southeast, uh, you know, Asia Pacific, you know, face and saving face is important. But certainly on a sidebar discussion, I took our not our opponent or adversary in a negative word, but the, the negotiator leading, I explained, I said, look, I'm not going to accept anything less than you guys approving all eight of these traits. And I used the example that they had been talking about some weed seed starting to show up in wheat and soybeans. And I gently said, don't you even dare raise the issue of weed seeds when you, you China, are denying the approvals of these traits. And please don't think I'm a fool by saying you're still setting the science six and eight years later. And later they approved all eight of those. So that was a big moment because I could think of farmers that didn't have to go out at age, pick your age, 50 to 65, 70, 80, and walk fields with kids when you shouldn't be out doing that in mud and muck and things. So those are examples of things we try to do and it gets at the macro, you know, biotechs approves traits to the micro of helping just one container move. And it's what drives me. I love that. And, and it's so true because it is those little things that make such a big difference in somebody's everyday life. And that helps reduce some of that stress that these farmers are feeling and there was a poll done by the American Farm Bureau that talks about um, three and four rural adults say when, when it comes to mental health and reducing stigma, um, that it's important to reduce stigma in that agricultural society. Um, what have you noticed in regards to that stress associated with farming and stigma? Have you noticed sure. anything? Well, I'll tell you one thing, and it's why I chose to stay in the field of agriculture, two things. Um, the macroeconomics, the megatrend is with us and should be a positive. Let me describe. We are right now at 7.3 to 7.5 billion on the planet, and we're going toward 20, uh, excuse me, toward about 10 billion plus or minus by 2050. Now that has not been disputed. That means we're going to have to double food production in coming years. And then when you look at the fact that some of that goes through a cow, a pig, a chicken, and then you lose just a touch of efficiency, that's why you have to double. So the trend is in our favor that even though there seems like it seems like there's gluts and uh, low prices as a result of those gluts and all of those can happen. We all know the macro cycles of marketing and trade. 
the long-term trend is that we're going to have to have more food and nobody produces food that is trusted more thoroughly on safety quality than food produced by the US of A. So that megatrend says, hey, you're in this for a good cause. The second thing I'd say is what could be better than the honor of providing food for the world? I grew up giving speeches on that and I still live that to this day and it can be uplifting. Many people don't know this, but veterinarians and farmers to this day continue to rank among the most credible, most highly regarded people on the planet. They are producing food. And sometimes you have to look in the mirror and say, look, dude, uh, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'm providing food for the world. And yes, there are things in my control and there's things out of my control, but it is an honor and a duty to be able to do that. Now it's up to me and good policy and good marketing to make sure that they don't do that at a loss. <laughs> What good is looking yourself in the mirror and getting a pep talk if you're not going to make a profit? And that's why we are undertaking all kinds of efforts here. I'll just give you one. The secretary, with a lot of help from others of us, introduced the innovation strategy. Right now, Europe is trying to ban 50% of the pesticides on the planet, force reduction, uh, a third of the fertilizer usage, and completely eliminate the use of antibiotics. Now, it's okay to remove antibiotics if you're using it for growth promotion. The companies, the industry, that's, that, that went away a few years ago. I'm talking about if the critter is coughing a single shot, much, some of the world wants to get rid of that. I think that's categorically nuts and unfair and inhumane, I might add. And so these are the things that we're pushing back on so that we can export more and the world will accept our products. I can tell them on the upside, Africa really wants to do more business with the US. And that means the likely purchase of feed grains for livestock that they keep or the shipment of finished product, ship our own finished and processed poultry, beef, pork, dairy, etc. So, the macro, uh, the macro scale, the, the mega strategies, the mega trends, I think are still in our favor. It just takes those pep talks to oneself. And if you have those mentors or those good friends that you ask to help you, they'll give that to you. And it can be an enormous, enormous pick-me-up. Oh, yeah. I like, that, uh, I like that you mentioned the farmers and veterinarians as, you know, some of the most respected people in the industry. Yes, I think it's it's also in interesting, um, and on the flip side of that coin, those are the most stressful and the, the jobs that have the highest suicide rates. It's one of those things that it's a two-sided, it's a double-edged sword. You know, you're making the most impact and you are um, doing the most work, but it also comes at a price. Yeah. And I think it's something that um, one of the most important things we can do is talk about it and right. discuss the issues that we're seeing and have discussions like this to let farmers and, and people working on the farm and even in rural communities know that they're not alone when they experience stress and that they are, um, you know, in a group of people that has struggled for generations. And this is no, no surprise. And, um, you know, we're always able to adapt to new struggles. So I think it's, it's interesting um, you bring that up. It's one of the things that I think is really becoming more and more important and going to soon be a topic of 
um, serious talks is, you know, access to care in rural communities um, and how rural populations are more at risk for stress and for mental health issues than for those in rural er, in urban areas, excuse me. Um, and, you know, it's something that talking about it is one of the, the most important things that we can do and reducing that stigma around going to get help at, at a counselor or just talking to someone, um, maybe seeing a doctor or something and just kind of bringing that, dialing that stigma back a little bit to say, hey, it's okay. I feel like this is too much right now. I've got a lot on my plate. I need to take a step back and I need to reassess my mental health so that I can continue what I do in impacting the world in ways that, that farmers do. Well, Abby, you're so right. Let me just build on that. And, and, and we, we, we all three of us on this, uh, this call know a lot of farmers. You know, f- farmers are the best because uh, they are independent as all get out. I mean, I can do it. I got it. And yet, uh, I don't know of any human that can just shoulder some of the pressures that farmers, and by extension, we talked about veterinarians. It could go long, the list could go longer. And, and I gotta tell you, uh, people have to find those support mechanisms. It's difficult, you know, it is not in the DNA of a farmer to go seek help. Oh my gosh, they, they run fast, sprint the other way. No, 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 I'm saying no, don't do that. I've had the benefit, as I said, of always working around a lot of people. So the support mechanisms are built in. And so whether it's a call to someone you don't know, the helpline kinds of things, <coughs> maybe that's best because it's anonymous. They don't know me. I don't know them. I can let down. Cool. If that's what floats your boat, fantastic. If it's a minister that you can let down to, if it's a best friend, if it's somebody you met back in 4-H and F, I don't know, but I got to tell you, people got to have that support mechanism. And, and to my farmers that might be listening, love you all, love that independent spirit. I get it. I understand it. But find somebody you can speak with and speak candidly and let down. You know, one time I was changing jobs and, and I've always had the creed And I think it's a good creed that a person's character is determined best by how they finish a job, not how they start. Because, you know, the the tendency is, oh, done with that one, race to the new one, more exciting, new territory. No, 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 no. So uh, I I was committed, finish this job well, and I did. I finished it late on a Friday, and the next Monday I started the new job, and I had not had a vacation for the 12 months prior, and I certainly didn't have a vacation anytime soon in the new job. Bad mistake. Bad, bad, bad mistake. You have to take time to sharpen the blade. You know, the Covey principles, I think, serve me very well. There's some fantastic principles. One of them is sharpen the blade. Another one is seek first to understand and to be understood. That means two-way communication. That just means you got to listen and listen. And no, 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 no. There's the caveat there that you, so all the Covey principles have served me very, very well. But that break is very important to also uh, reduce stress. At least that's the observation I've had in my world. Well, and I think too, your line of work, um, and I'm sure those that, that you're working with, you're helping, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unknowns. Um, I know just talking to some of my family, they're more, I'd like to say, 
hobby farmers. So they're on the smaller scale of things. And there's a lot that they don't know. And I'm sure you see that every day. And in your line of work, what is something that you could say that could ease their mind or give them hope as they move forward? Yes. Um, I'm just looking it up. There's a saying that uh, I want to get this accurate. Um, oh, for goodness sake. That's not it. Well, I'll just say that, that, you know, that there are some scriptures that can be very, very good in helping that. And that's why I keep uh, mentioning the need to, to have some reliance on a higher being, uh, because, you know, when you believe in the divine, you know that there's a hand. They oftentimes talk about, uh, you know, uh, God or the divine hand, whoever that might be for different people listening, um, uh, can only, will only give what you can bear. And some people can bear a great deal more than others. You know, what helps me is to, to look at those who are less fortunate. That always makes you feel a little bit better, uh, and, and, you know, I, 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 I oftentimes think of my twin brother and sister-in-law. They, they have three wonderful children, and the middle child is a special needs child. And she is the happiest thing you've ever seen. Always, always happy. Well, you know, that's a lift. That's a pick-me-up. And then, you know, when I get, you know, if I get down, I think, wow, when I think about what people who have special needs children or have you know, some disability, for example, and yet their spirit is soaring and the smile is pervasive. You think, all right, Ted, kick yourself in the pants. Let's get going here. There are people that are in much greater need than I. So, you know, contrasting yourself, it's a little like what I said about watching some young person thrive in their, in their skills, in their schooling, in their, I keep going back to 4-H and FFA because it's so ag oriented. That is also a very, uh, good lift. What about something um, that you feel hopeful for in the ag industry? Say that again. I want to make sure I get that right. Yeah. What's something that you feel hopeful for the future of the ag industry and the direction that we're oh, going now? You know, it's so exciting. When I look at the physical labor that farmers had to employ when I was growing up, you know, we had a, a new hog barn the newness of that hog barn was you still went out morning and night and scraped the floors with a scraper, you know, and you did this, whether it was, you know, a hundred degrees or if it was 20 below, you found a way because you took care of the livestock. My gosh, innovation has taken us so much further. You know, we enclosed that barn of old, uh, we, our death loss went down 15% and I probably added a couple years of my life to my life because you're not out there in that crazy freezing cold, having to unfreeze waterers, which many farmers will recognize. So, so, uh, innovation is something we're pushing, pushing, pushing. And that's why it just gets under my skin. Oh, you can tell the passion I have. It burns that our friends in Europe think that the way forward is to go back to the ways of grandpa or great grandpa. France, for example, is now forcing a hybrid seed corn, not a GMO, a hybrid seed corn, much like the technology that my grandfather used when he was starting to use hybrid seed. They now have put that in the category of GMOs. You have to go through a years long process some areas of the world have drunk a lot of bad Kool-Aid and it's spoiled on them and it's affecting their brains very seriously. And so that's why we are here to do what we do to push back on that so that our friends in the farming and ranching community never have to deal with that crap. 
They can just know the innovation. Look, look at the advent of the seeds that are coming out of these companies these days. My gosh, rain, rain, rain last year, right? And yields still, for the most part, did much better than people thought. Drought tolerance, my gosh, what they've built into the germplasm through either biotech means or just unbelievable. So innovation, I think, has been a great tool to ease the pain. Now, it also has allowed farmers to take on more acres. So you, you, you reapeth what you soweth, you know, so maybe there's some boundaries that we all need to recognize, you know, don't go for the next 500 acres. You are doing plenty now. It can come later, right? So those are some thoughts. No, I think that's great because people are, like you said, they, they have that little bit of extra. So they're, they're chasing that next goal. And before we go, because this has been some amazing information that I think everyone is really going to take a lot from, um, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about anything you might have coming up or something that you know of for our listeners to get some more information. Yeah, well, let me, I, I, I was looking for, and I just found this, uh, this, this phrase that is, is a pick-me-up for whomever, and it's, it's well-known, but it's worth keeping in one's pocket. It says, grant to us the serenity of mind to accept that which cannot be changed, courage to change that which can be changed, and wisdom to know the one from the other. And then you say thank you to whoever your divine being is. So that has always been a good reality uh, check. The next thing I'll say is for those that do not know or haven't read the seven habits of highly successful people, this is the Covey principles. It's a great reminder. It's a great, uh, a great, great reminder. As As to answering the specific question, well, we've got some very grand plans in an, in an EU strategy and in an Africa strategy. And uh, I think it holds great promise. We hope to build on these high prices. We're very, very hopeful that China will continue to come back to the well. Uh, don't know that, it's China. But we have been working very hard on diversifying those markets. And if ever anybody wanted to know, we recently had an ag trade mission uh, to Guatemala. And we had three countries involved. It was Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. And I thought, okay, I did say leave no stone unturned, but these are the very countries that at that time had been shipping a lot of people with backpacks on their back to the Rio Grande River and trying to find their way across, mostly illegally. And I thought, what are we gonna sell there? To this day, it is the highest selling ag trade mission in the history of the foreign ag service. So, we must not judge a book by its cover or judge it by the way the media portrays it. It was the highest selling ag trade mission for all the people that went down there of all time in foreign ag service. There is a lot that can be uncovered. There are opportunities out there we do not see. Sometimes it's not been revealed to us, but I think it can be. And so I'd leave on that note that if Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras can to this day rank as the number one ag trade mission we took in terms of sales. And by the way, we validated that one year later. It was actually better than they had forecasted it. It was real. It was not just a, a supposition, a guess. It was real. We proved it. Then I think there's hope for everybody. And so if you're down, find that friend, find that mentor, find that pastor. And then remember this, this phrases like I just shared and maybe some of these examples. 
So those would be my thoughts. And thanks for the opportunity to join you too. This has been fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again, Undersecretary McKinney. And thank you all for listening to the tools for today's farmer podcast. If you'd like more information about the Purdue Extension Farm Stress team, go to extension.purdue.edu slash farm stress, or find us on Facebook as the Purdue Extension Farm Stress team. We use the hashtag FarmStrong on our posts to emphasize that the agriculture community is resilient and is strong enough to overcome anything that comes their way. Share your story of overcoming stress on social media using the hashtag FarmStrong. Thank you again, everyone, for listening in. I am your host, Rachel Dilhoff, and joined with Abby Heidenreich, and we will see you next time.